This is Dana Steele. I lost my mother, Fran Nicholson, to Alzheimer's. I remember being absolutely blindsided by the diagnosis. I thought I knew what it was, but I had no idea where to start, where to go, what to do, what questions to ask, or what was coming. So I posted on Facebook. My mom was diagnosed with early stages of Alzheimer's today. Facebook became my community and my support and my therapy group. If I didn't know what to do, you did. When mom died, I decided I would tell our story, the good, the bad, even the funny, to try to help families and let caregivers know you are not alone. Speak up, reach out, ask for help, and remember there is no right way or wrong way to do this. I've now told my story for years. In a book titled Surviving Alzheimer's with Friends, Facebook, and a Really Big Glass of Wine. In a play, The Woman in the Mirror, which will be running the month of March in Palm Springs, California at the Revolution Stage Company. And now in a podcast. And now I want to hear your story. I want others to hear your story. I want to tell your story. This is Hashtag Surviving Alzheimer's. Our brains love the status quo. We get comfortable with it. We've adjusted to our circumstances. Alzheimer's brings on a totally different life. Uh, and it changes the you know the relationships and how we what we can do together, the supports we give each other. Um, it, it's a major life change. And, and I think we rebel against that. We, we want to be comfortable. Hashtag Surviving Alzheimer's is brought to you by The Woman in the Mirror, an onstage manual disguised as a dark comedy for navigating Alzheimer's with love, laughter, and a little bit of wine. You can help bring the play to the Revolution Stage Company in Palm Springs, California in March with a tax-deductible donation to our grant fund. There's a link in this episode's description and on our website at survivingalzheimerspodcast.com. It is my love letter to caregivers. Remember, when it comes to Alzheimer's, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. Now, back to more of Surviving Alzheimer's. Joining me on hashtag Surviving Alzheimer's today is Corbell Arps. How are you? Good, good. It's good to be here. Where did we connect? We connected on, was it LinkedIn? I mean, you made a comment on something and I was like, oh, I want you on my podcast. Yes, it was on LinkedIn. So, you know, it's always the first question I ask anyone is this is not, you know, Alzheimer's is not something you choose to be involved with. Caregiving is not something you normally choose to be involved with. It is thrust upon you. Where did your journey begin? Well, my journey began with my husband, who was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's when he was 54. Um, it was quite a shock. And even though we all know illnesses are going to happen at some point, I never anticipated that it would be Alzheimer's uh, and that we would go on that journey together. And that early, what were some of the first things that made you go, wait a minute, that's not right? Well, I noticed that he was reading less. Um, he had been a voracious reader and he was not... he. He loved to play the piano and he was not doing that anymore. And he was in the middle of changing 
his careers. And so I thought maybe this is just because it's kind of at a, a low point, you know, in terms of cognitive stimulation for him uh, because he was waiting to start a new job. And um, but I, I was a little concerned, but, you know, it's really hard to go there until you know for sure, because um, it, it just kind of creates a lot of anxiety uh, and uncertainty about the future. And so I kind of passed it off as this was just a time of life that was, you know, not not the greatest for him. I also say that there's a lot of things I look back now as as you and I continue this journey helping others, we learn more and more about our journey. Um, and one of the things I learned is I refuse to see it. I think there's a couple of things I did see with my mom, but deep down in my brain somewhere, I knew if I acknowledged there was a problem, mm -hmm. I was going to have to be a part of the solution. And I just wasn't ready to give up the life I had. And that sounds like a very selfish thing, but I think it's a very human thing that I will admit, you know, that I overlooked things. Even my brother-in-law, who is a leading neurologist in Naples, Florida, and an Alzheimer's researcher said, you know, Dana, Fran's, something's wrong with Fran's brain. And I was like, ah, she's just dingy. She's getting older. No, she's always been that way. And what was interesting was later on when my mother-in-law, Gloria, started showing signs of dementia, of Alzheimer's, and I mentioned it to the good doctor, he did the same thing. Oh, no, she's fine. She lives with us. She's good. Everything's good. So even he, you know, he and I have talked about that on a, a previous podcast that, you know, you tend to go, you don't want to believe it. Because mm -hmm. first of all, it's somebody you love. And and even, even though you think you know what Alzheimer's is, it sounds kind of scary. And you don't want your life to change. So do you, I mean, that's my, that's been my journey is that the more I learn, the more I look back and go, oh yeah, I just totally ignored that. Yes. I, I think, you know, you touched on the fear of it and the fact that that means I'm going to be involved in it. it. It It's taking on a huge life change and our brains love the status quo. <laughs> we get comfortable with it. We've adjusted to our circumstances Alzheimer's brings on a totally different life uh, and it changes the, you know, the relationships and how we, what we can do together, the supports we give each other. Um, it, it's a major life change. And, and I think we rebel against that. We, we want to be comfortable. So you lost your husband to early onset Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's is horrible to begin with. And for it to happen at such a young age, um, it just, it just makes the journey that much worse. But you did what I did. We've turned around and taken it, everything we've learned, and turned it into something that hopefully helps others. Talk about your journey after you lost him and how you got to where you are now helping others. Mm -hmm. I think that that journey really started when I was taking care of him. Um, so I took care of him for nine years. And during that time, um, I really got some understanding, although I'm not sure I could articulate it well, but I got an understanding that uh, we have to really tap into our values and what our strengths are and use our strengths to get us through. Uh, and that that's really where we formulate how we're going to live during that time. 
and how we're going to take care of our loved ones, our intentions and how we live those out. So um, I took care of him for nine years and was able to do it at home um, with the help of family and also uh, a wonderful caregiver who, who helped me during the day while I worked. And um, after, after he died, I thought, I'm going to take some time and not make any, you know, life decisions. But after a few years, um, I was approaching 65, and there were some things that I wanted to do in my own life uh, and pursue. So I had been a psychiatrist. I retired from that. And for about a year, I, I you know, did, did some things that were goals that I had. And during that time, I became sick and had breast cancer and was having a lot of trouble with my back. And I, I you know, was depressed and just really, really having a struggle. And I, I thought, well, you know, I've heard about health coaching. I'm going to look into that and see what health coaching does for people, because maybe it would help me. And so I did, and I tried some of the techniques with myself, even though that's not the optimal way to do it. I, I tried that, and I was blown away by how much better I felt and how I was able to start changing some of my behaviors and my mindset, and I got better. And I thought, this is great, and I was really missing working. I loved working with people. And, um, you know, I, I thought I want to work again, but I didn't want to go back to a full-blown psychiatric practice. I didn't think I had the energy for that. And I had been away for, for uh, a few years by that time. So I went back to school and I did training for health coaching and have started a business doing that. And as I started doing that, I thought, you know what? I have this experience as a caregiver. And I understand what caregiving demands of people and the struggles, but also the joys of it. And I thought, I'm going to focus my health coaching for caregivers. And I want to I go back real quick uh, to something you said before I lose this thought. And that is you, you figured out what your strengths are. And I've, I've never heard it put that way. And I, I really want to, uh, we'll get back to health coaching, but, and that's probably part of your coaching, but because it made me think, okay, what are my strengths? My strengths are, I have a huge network. Uh, mm -hmm. I, you know, I used to have a big network of listeners when I was on, uh, on the radio, back on the radio now, um, and a huge network on social media. And I'm a communicator. And that, I guess that's what I ended up doing, because I don't think I was particularly all that great a caregiver. I certainly wasn't happy about being one as I look back, but I was able to go to Facebook and say, okay, I laughed at my mom. What's wrong with me? Or mm -hmm. my mom did this, what is happening? Or mm -hmm. how do I find this? So I, I just wanted to, to, to really focus on that and tell people, figure out what your strengths are. We're not all good at everything, right. but we're probably all good at least at one thing figure out what that one thing is and use that to your advantage. Define health coaching for me before we get into the specifics. 
Well, that's a good thing to talk about because most people, when they hear about health coaching, they think, oh, coaching, it's going to be like a sports team coach. They're going to tell me the techniques. They're going to tell me what to do. They're going to show me what I'm doing wrong. And, and then they're going to cheer me on. Um, or they think it might be something like an educator um, that they will give you information about how things should go or what you should be doing. And it's really not those two things. Um, it's really, the health coach is really a facilitator to help the person get in touch with their own desires of how they want their health to be, the kinds of things they want to be doing or that they want to change in order to support their health. And then why they want to do that. Um, the health coach really helps them build motivation because the hardest thing about making changes is just making the change. You, you might want to do it, but as we all know, it can be very hard to change habits. And A friend of mine has a great line, change is great, you go first. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And, and so the health coach really helps the person make the behavioral changes that will support their health that they want to make. Uh, health coaches really enter into that relationship with a great deal of regard for the person's own knowledge and wisdom about themselves. Because we each hold really the most knowledge about what we can do, what works for us, what doesn't work for us, what we want to do, what we don't want to do. And so the health coach helps bring all those things to the forefront so the person can actually make the changes. We're going to take a break here and we will be right back with more about health coaching on hashtag surviving Alzheimer's. We're back with hashtag surviving Alzheimer's. We're talking about health coaching with Corbell Arps right now. Um, who needs, now, obviously I talk to caregivers. I talk to people who are going through this. I think caregivers need a health coach because we don't take care of ourselves when they're, we're in the midst of this uh, insanity of caregiving. Um, so who needs a health coach? Okay. And when do they need a health coach? Health coaching in general, is needed often by people either who have chronic illnesses or who have behaviors or habits that are really detrimental to their health and that they want to change. So it may be something like um, drinking energy drinks at bedtime, then they don't sleep or, you know, or smoking, um, you know, things like that, that, that they can really identify. For caregivers, what I'm finding is that as you said, caregivers often don't take care of themselves. And what I hear so often is, how can I take care of myself when I'm taking care of my loved one? And they have Alzheimer's or they have, a, you know, an illness and they need me. They can't take care of themselves. I have to spend my time taking care of them. And if they do things for themselves, they feel guilty. Um, that they took the oh, time. Oh, extremely. <laughs> I still, I mean, mom, mom passed in October, 2015. And I look back at, you know, I went to, I went to New Orleans for a weekend. In fact, I'm, I'm staying with the friends we went to, to visit um, 
that's where I am right now. And we were talking about this last night is how, how much that did for me yet to this day, I still feel guilty for taking those few days off Mm -hmm. and leaving her behind to go take care of my own mental health. We just, we don't, I mean, especially women, moms, we're like, "Mm -mm, we got to take care of everybody else first. Right. And, and the needs are just so great for, for that person. But the reality of the situation is, is that if your own health deteriorates, you become less and less available for that person. And, and often it's emotionally available for them, um, you know, or, or even the physical part. So to, to be the best you can be as a caregiver, your own health has to be the best it can be. What are the signs you need a health coach? Um, I think if you start noticing that I don't feel well, I don't have energy, I'm getting sick a lot. I have colds all the time. <laughs> you know, I'm getting infections. Um, or it, it can even be a little more subtle than that. It may be that oh, I don't want to have to take care of her tonight. I don't want to visit him. Um, you know, that exhaustion. Oh, I've been there. I've been there. I remember Charlie handed me uh, a glass of wine, started to hand me a glass of wine one, uh, you know, early evening. And he said, so are you going to try to go see your mom or what? And I just, I just lit into him. I just started yelling. I don't like her. That's not my mom. I didn't sign up for this. And he's like, honey, you have her in a good place. She's taken care of by good people. You're happy with this place. That's why she's there. You don't have to go if Mm. you don't want to. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, people can tell you that all the time, but it's it's hard mm-hmm. to accept it. But I finally started going, I'm not going to go today. I'm not going to mm-hmm. go today. And and uh, yeah, there's still the guilt. But I finally realized probably a year into mom's journey that I was physically and mentally exhausted. My son, who was still at home at the time, was a teenager. He blurted out at dinner one night, all you do is cry all the time. Mm. And then he tried to pretend like he said something else. He was just horrified. He realized, you know, he had hurt my feelings. Um, it's, it's hard. It's very hard. And I look back and think, boy, if I had had a health coach, because everybody can tell you, you need to take a break, uh, but you don't want to hear it. You don't want to hear it. And, and How do you think, find a health coach? Well, that's that's a, a great question because health coaching is relatively new. Uh, I, I would say you can go online. Um, you can uh, go. I, I think a good way to do it is to go online and look at some of the training programs. Um, so there are some well-known institutions such as Duke or Vanderbilt who have very good health coach training programs. And they, you know, can be a resource for getting the names of people who are trained. Um, There's also another way, there is now a national board certification, just as physicians have their board certifications for specialties. There is now one for health and wellness coaches. So it is possible to go online and go to that national board, you know, for health and wellness coaching and get names of coaches who are 
board certified, which shows that they have, you know, a, a wide and deep base of knowledge. Another thing is if you know friends who have gone to health coaches and got good results. Um, one of the most important things about knowing whether health coaching will work for you is if the relationship that you have with the coach is good, because there needs to be a trust, because people won't open up and talk about their needs and their desires, um, you know, and their very personal struggles um, with someone that they don't trust. So we were joking. We were laughing the other day about the definition of a consultant is it's somebody, it's an expert that you hire that tells you what to do to fix your problem or make your business better. And then you ignore everything they say. Uh, the same thing with a coach. If you're not going to uh, take the advice, but I, um, this is interesting. Of course, I'm going to put all the links to you if everybody, if anybody would like to reach out to you. Uh, but this is also fascinating to me because this is also a job that maybe somebody who has been in the medical profession like you were or who has been a caregiver or both like you have been. Um, this is an interesting job that some people may want to look into um, you did certification. How do you become a health coach? Um, you go through training. Right now, it's a little, it's not real regulated. Um, there are lots of training programs that, you know, they're, they vary greatly in what they cover. There may be some that are a few days long. There may be some that are a year and a half long. Um, so it's a, it's a little, it's a little tricky. Um, that's why I would say, you know, check for board certification and, you know, what kind of training they did. One thing you brought up that, that I think is good to um, say is that health coaches don't so much give advice. What they do is really kind of mine from the person, what that person wants, and then to go deeper and say, well, how have you been successful in the past doing those kind of things? What kinds of things work for you? And help them bring that out because that's what they're going to be able to use. If I just go and say, well, you need to do X, Y, and Z, that may really miss the mark for them because what works for one person may not work for another person. So you really have to go and find out, you know, this person's circumstances, this person's strengths, this person's values, and that's what they mobilize. And a good health coach will really help them build their motivation so they can use what they already have internally and put it to work for themselves. Um, the, and the health coach will help them learn how to set goals that are attainable, um, that are realistic, and that are meaningful, and then do the little action steps that lead them to successfully meeting their goals. As they are successful with the action steps, the confidence grows and the person becomes very empowered because they're running the show, not me. <laughs> well, so. we're talking about health coaching for caregivers, but can you use health coaching to, to say, quit smoking or to quit drinking? Have you had anybody that you've worked with like that? Um, I, 
I personally haven't because fairly quickly I transitioned into uh, health coaching for caregivers, but uh, it is widely used for those things. And it really, in its kind of infancy and as it's developed, it's mostly used for medical situations like that, where, you know, a person's um, overall health is very compromised. Um, it it's used a lot for weight loss. It's used for people with diabetes to help them have the motivation to do the self-care. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it is used for those things. As a caregiver, as a former caregiver, uh, uh, as a health coach, current health coach, former caregiver, current health coach, uh, last words, what would you say to a caregiver right now listening to hashtag surviving alzheimer's that your health is really important and taking care of yourself is not a luxury and it's nothing to feel guilty about because it's essential not only for your own good but for the good of your loved one that you're taking care of this podcast is brought to you in part by the book surviving alzheimer's with friends facebook and a really big glass of wine. When mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, I posted it on Facebook. What started as a way to let friends and family know mom had Alzheimer's turned into a support system for me, and from that turned into a support system and a community. The first half of the book is the Facebook post, and that's to give people a sense of, you're not alone. There's no right, there's no wrong, it's okay to laugh at inappropriate things, it's okay to cry, it's okay to say bad words, drink wine, and throw things. The other half of the book is uh, very important resources for caregivers. The one thing I want you to take away is you never know. Love your family, love everyone, take every adventure, do everything, but also make sure you have everything ready to go and you're organized in the background so that when all is said and done, you have lived today. I wish I had known, and if I wish I had known, I think there's other people that wish they that wish they could know what's coming next. Surviving Alzheimer's with friends, Facebook, and a really big glass of wine is available at Amazon in paperback and Kindle versions. And now, back to the podcast, Surviving Alzheimer's with Dana Steele. Thanks for listening to Hashtag Surviving Alzheimer's. The podcast is produced by Blue Squirrel Productions and JFA Entertainment, Dana Steele, me, executive producer. It's brought to you by the book Surviving Alzheimer's with friends, Facebook, and a really big glass of wine available in paperback and Kindle on Amazon. You'll be able to see the play The Woman in the Mirror in Palm Springs, California at the Revolution Stage Company in March of 2024. The original music in the podcast, I Remember, was written and is performed by Jeannie Cunningham. If you have questions, something you'd like to share, or you'd like to tell me your story, you'll find the corresponding links in this episode's description. And do me a favor, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and family. And as mom always said, I love you, a bushel and a peck, and a hug around the neck. <laughs>